Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Good afternoon, everybody. It is the Steve Jones Show on a hump day. Or, yeah, no, today's Thursday. <laughs> We're off to a good start on a Thursday here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Matt Catrillo here with you. Steve will soon be there from the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. All new pre-owned inventory. All at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. The true professionals and who know what day it actually is. Today is Thursday. And yesterday, which was hump day, James Franklin spoke with the media. And we'll All see right. if we can get some clips there. And uh, the big news out of there, Curtis Jacobs, Brandon Smith, maybe at Sam and Will linebacker. Jabari Wheeler's back. we got lots going on on campus again today. All right. Look, I, for Brandon Smith, it's natural. I want him closer to the line of scrimmage anyway because I think he's a playmaker. Uh, so that's one. And you can't do that unless you have somebody in that can play out there like Curtis Jacobs can. That makes a big difference. The traffic pattern is different inside compared to outside it just is it's not taken into account by many people they just think you can just easily switch from one to the other uh, but you have to get used to the traffic pattern all of a sudden it's you've got a lot of bodies in there and Smith I think is perfectly suited to play that spot if that is where he ends up being during all this um So, yeah, it's big news for the Lewisburg native. The Lewisburg native? Oh, you, you, what, Brandon Smith? It's the wrong Brandon Smith. Whoops. No, this is the first of all, Brandon Smith out of Winfield think the absolute world of him and turned out to be a really good football player now of course he's on the path to being a doctor this is the five-star linebacker out of virginia brandon smith who i have more body fat in my hand than he has his entire body <laughs> <laughs> it's just, 
Jack Ham and I are out talking one day. With uh, now, Jack was doing the talking. I I stood there and said nothing. And it was uh, before the Cotton Bowl, so you know it's before practice started. And Jack is chatting with Brandon Smith, linebacker to linebacker. And then Jack brought up body fat. And Smith talked about how he reduced his body fat and got it down to, I don't know, like 3% or 3.4% or some crazy, right? Some crazy number. And the two of us are looking like, what? He's 240 pounds. He's totally chiseled. And to this day, we still say, I can't believe that. We haven't heard of anybody with that number before. Oh, my goodness. So. Uh, wow. Either way, big news. Get the lingerie on the deck. Call the janitor. I deserve that one. <laughs> oh, don't, geez, don't worry about that. Who cares? Jeez. God. You see, do you, do you think I, I wake up and go, oh, geez. You know, the, you know, don't worry about it. I started today not knowing what days. day it was, so, yeah, I'm off to a good start. <laughs> I'm like the, the pirates key, right the key now. Is, okay, the key is is I'm the one that has to know what's going on. Don't worry about it. Yes. Okay. I don't. Uh, I don't hold other people. I don't sit there and go, oh well, you know, it's like, you know, because the first two years of the show, I got used to. No. <laughs> 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 oh, you're awful, terrible. This show's awful. Uh, yeah. Uh, Brian Harmon, Hideki Matsuyama. Shot three under par 69s. Mark Leishman is still on the course at the turn going to 10 at three under par. So that's where it is at the Masters right now. We're going to have Donnie Collins on the show a little bit later. We're going to talk about Brandon Smith, Curtis Jacobs. Baseball, uh, Mets and Marlins 1-1 top of the sixth. Every Mets pitcher is on a 30-pitch count. Just kidding. Uh, the Pirates in their home opener lead the Cubs 2-1 bottom of the fifth. Chris Bryant homered in the four, first inning for the Cubs. But the Pirates have come back since. Uh, and in coming back since, they've been able to uh, uh, take the lead 2-1. to one. Uh, Dustin Fowler knocked in a run and... Uh, Jacob Stallings knocked in a run. No, no, excuse me. Adam Frazier knocked in a run. So it's 2-1. And the Red Sox and Orioles are scoreless in the first. If you were to tell me the Red Sox would be 3-3 and would sweep one team and get swept by the other, I would have told you they would have swept Baltimore and got swept by Tampa Bay. Instead... They got swept by Baltimore, and they swept Tampa Bay. So I, I, I can't figure this season out yet. Can you? Um, yeah. So that's the way it is. So you didn't know what day it was when you woke up today. I knew it was Lisa's 30th birthday, but day of the week I did not. I guess I didn't know. All right. Well, at least you guys look. It's better saying, hey, it's Thursday, and then you find out later it's Lisa's birthday. <laughs> That's bad. Okay, knowing, waking up and knowing it's her birthday and not knowing the day of the week, not so bad. 
Not so bad at all. That's that's that that is acceptable. The other one, <laughs> not acceptable, and put you into uh, purgatory for decades. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> decades. All right. Uh, also, what the Frozen Four is uh, starts tonight. College hockey. Brian Tripp. We're going to have him on next half hour. Talk about that. Since he's calling it on Westwood One, by the way. Yes. So, so hockey gets finally. You know, I mean, it's seventy-five degrees out. It's only appropriate hockey should end now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Uh, I want to make one quick uh, comment about the Olympics for a moment. <laughs> finally, the corner office perked up. Oh. Oh, it's about time. There has been, and it gives you gives one the feeling, tell me if I'm wrong about this, Matt, that after the All-Star game was moved from Atlanta to Denver, that the subject of boycotting the Olympics started coming up because you felt like it was a tit-for-tat moment. Does that sound fair? It was curious timing, yes. Okay. And, of course, it's still being brought up. Let me tell you, I am absolutely against that. And here's why. I've already lived through it once. And it made no sense to me then. And it makes even less sense to me now. I have two friends that were on the 1980 U.S. Olympic team. Now, let me mean acquaintances. They're two friends. Sharmarek Curtis, who is the field hockey coach at Penn State, and Shar and I went to Penn State at the same time, knew each other at Penn State. Okay? Not after, but when we were both here as, as students. And she was on the U.S. Olympic field hockey team for 1980, and the other one is Greg Fredericks. Greg is, at that time, was a 10,000-meter runner. Shar told me that she was working out one day, and I think she told me it was Joe D'Ange, and Joe D'Ange was a really, really good defensive end here in the late 70s for Joe Paterno. And Joe D'Ange came in when she was working out and basically essentially said, hey, really sorry to hear about the Olympic thing. She said, what do you mean sorry to hear about the Olympic thing? She said, well, President Carter says we're not going to go. And she was crestfallen. Crestfallen. You know, you work, you make it the excitement. I made the Olympic team. Imagine how David Taylor feels today after winning over the weekend. Unfortunately, it was at the expense of Bo Nickel. But but imagine how he feels today. He's going to Tokyo to represent the United States. Well, that's how she felt. And all of a sudden, nothing. Many members of the field hockey team in 1980 stuck together. In fact, Shar ended up being an assistant coach. Beth Anders became uh, the 
a head coach of the of Old Dominion. <laughs> and a very and Beth Andrews was the, the field hockey gold standard in this country. And so Shard joined her staff at Old Dominion. And of course they were able to keep for the most part, the field hockey team together. And by doing that, they stuck together until they got to Los Angeles. And in Los Angeles, uh, they won the bronze medal. It's the only time that the United States has ever won a bronze medal in field hockey at the Olympics. And, you know, and Beth Andrews was the leading scorer on that team. Shar played in every game, was critical. They beat Australia for the bronze, and they were able to at least stick it out. In fact, Beth Andrews retired from coaching at Old Dominion uh, in 2012. Now Greg Fredericks. Okay, so that group was able to stick it out. But there was still the, the, the just the devastating feeling when they couldn't go. They stuck it out and won a bronze. They took four years, though, of sticking it out. Greg Fredericks, it's a different story. The United States, the top two qualifiers in the 10,000 meters, would represent the United States in the Olympics in Moscow. Greg finished second. He was at his athletic peak in 1980, which in distance running, I mean, that's normally what happens. Now, you may still stay at your peak in 81. You're still in the neighborhood of your peak of 82. But, you know, there's just that that finite window. And, of course, Greg got the word, like Shar did, no Olympic Games. Well, that was it for Greg. That was his shot. He never, he never was able to qualify for it again. That was his only shot. Now, he is such an unassuming guy. I mean, you talk about the ultimate no-ego guy. It's Greg Fredericks. Just a just a great guy. But that was it for him. Now, what good did that do? Did the Soviet Union, now Russia, but the Soviet Union, did they go, oh, God, we're, uh, the United States isn't going to the Olympics? And leave Afghanistan? No. Were they still in Afghanistan in 81? Yep. Were they still in Afghanistan in 82? 83? 84? 85? 86? 87? 88? Yes, 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 all the way through. So it didn't do any good. What good did it do? Did it hurt Brezhnev? Or did it hurt Greg Fredericks? Did it hurt Alexei Kosygin? I'm bringing out all the big names now. Or did it hurt Charmeret? Boycotting the Olympics in 1980 only hurt our athletes. It didn't it didn't send a message. It didn't hurt 
the Soviet Union one iota. All it did was hurt our people. I take the attitude of 1936 and Jesse Owens. There is Adolf Hitler, Berlin, in the stands. And Jesse Owens is winning four gold medals, much to the anger and chagrin of Adolf Hitler. Where you go to their turf, you beat the, athletically beat the daylights out of them, and right, and leave. The 1936 Olympics were remembered for Jesse Owens. They aren't remembered for the spectacle of the Third Reich. And that's what you do here. You go to Beijing, you kick the backsides, come on home. Don't deny your own people. If an athlete wants to make a personal conscious decision to not to go, that is their personal decision as an American. Because Americans are allowed to make their own decisions. So the, if the athlete decides not to go, then the athlete doesn't have to go. I'd support that decision all the way through because that's their own personal decision. But don't put a mandate out that they, I think that's, that's wrong. That's just me. The suit is just glad we talked about the Olympics for any kind of segment. You, sir, are my hero. <laughs> I talked to Doug, by the way, about the next Bucknell game. I guess Doug wants me to come and be a guest color analyst. I don't, I don't know what, the, what, what that role means. All right, we'll come back. Uh, I said, do you need any help, Doug? He says, yeah. All right, and we'll come back. <laughs> With more a moment, great to have you with us today. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors on News Radio 1070 W. Taking your calls at 800 795 9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf Online at sunburymotors.com. For Lincoln Kia Hyundai. Great new inventory, fabulous pre-owned inventory, and a great time to go to the lot and look and dream and then make your dreams come true. It's a great time to buy. You're saying, man, I could use a new car. Well, this is the perfect time to do it, and you have a great sales staff that will work with you. That's why they have so many repeat customers. They just work so well with customers. They care so much. It's all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. A note from Doug, um, like the point about the Olympics, but even better point about having you work as my analyst over the suit. Uh, this sounds like, on the surface, it sounds like a coup, which I just... I just, I just want, I just have Doug in the audience's best interest at heart. Right, no, so, God! Um... no God! No God! <laughs> we all know that was the Colgate game, but it could be a missed field goal on Saturday, for all we know. 
That's right. It could be. All right. The final four is over with. In college basketball. A men's champion, Baylor has been crowned. A women's champion, Stanford, has been crowned. Believe it or not, basketball is over, but hockey is not. The Frozen Four is in Pittsburgh, and my good friend, the voice of Penn State hockey, is also the voice of the Frozen Four for the third time in his career on Westwood One, and that is Brian Tripp. Tripper, great to have you with us. Yeah, they're, they're two for two with me on the call, Steve. But, yeah, I appreciate it. It's very nice of you to say. Well, uh, in fact, I think they've made you an honorary letterman. <laughs> uh, uh, no one seed's made it, but I want to talk with, about UMass first. Uh, UMass mm-hmm. uh, won. They won 4-0, but they're missing players because of COVID. Uh, what's the immediate impact for them? What does that do for lines, depth, and so forth? Yeah, so they're without their leading goal scorer, Carson. All the long, they've gotten two scoring lines, and he's a part of that. So that's that's obviously a big loss. But I think the more significant loss is their goaltender, Philip Lindbergh. He's leading the country in state percentage and goals against. They're on a 12-game unbeaten streak, and over those 12 games, he started all of them. He was in a goaltending battle at the beginning of the year with Matt Murray, and Matt Murray's played a lot of games for them. He has 51 career wins, right. the program record for UMass. So it's not that they don't have a reliable backup to turn to in this case. It was really a 1A and 1B to start the season, and they were waiting to see who was going to win the job. But the way Lindbergh had been playing – and the way the team was playing in front of him, I think that's such a big loss. And then the other notable loss is a fourth liner, Jerry Harding, and they started to get a little bit more production uh, from that fourth line offensively, but more importantly, what they brought to the ice as a defensive unit. So they miss him there. And then the fourth guy is their third-string goalie. So they're actually down to just Murray. Mm -hmm. And as of yesterday, they have officially added the student equipment manager as their backup goaltender to the roster, and he's going to dress and skate. And uh, they're hoping he doesn't get in. But uh, who knows? It would be a really good story if he did. Carolina Hurricanes went through that a couple yep. of years ago. Where, hey, the equipment guy's in the game. And he won. <laughs> and they won the game. But UMass. Yeah, so the big story with UMass, Steve, this year has been their depth. That's, yeah, well, so a couple of years ago when they were in the Frozen Four, Kale McCarr was the headliner. And then yeah. they also had Mario Ferraro and John Leonard who were playing in the NHL. And they've built a program that's there for sustained success. They've got a coach who has a professional background and came in with a chip on his shoulder. They've recruited kids who have chips on their shoulders, and that's the way to do it in a rebuild. That's their philosophy, and it's a deep team. So as much as, yes, they've lost some really key guys, sometimes that can be a rallying point for, for a team, and it's also important to note the distinction that they lost them officially for Thursday's game. And that's all the release said. So I think it's still up in the air that if they do win, those right. players may be available for Saturday's contest. Well, they've been the dominant team in the tournament. They were 16-5-4 during the regular season. But, you know, they've outscored uh, opponents 9-1 to one so far during mm-hmm. this. So, I mean, of all the teams that have been in here, they're actually been the have they're the one team that's had dominant wins. I mean, St. Cloud's yeah. had good wins, but UMass has had dominant wins. 
Yeah, I felt like coming in on paper until that announcement yesterday, they were probably the team to beat. I know Dave Starman, just because of who's my analyst I'm going to work with, he felt like Minnesota Duluth out of the NCHC and the strength of schedule they played and the pedigree, uh, that they may be one of the favorites going into this. But what's interesting about UMass, you talk about losing their top goal scorer and their goalie. A lot of their game is big because of their defensemen. So Zach yeah. Jones on the back end, Matt Kessel, uh, the same way they played when they had McCarr and Ferraro. A lot of their offense is generated from their defense, and their defense is really the key cogs of the way they play. So I think at least they're healthy on the back end, and they don't have to change any of their defensive pairings going into this. So I still feel like they're pretty well set in the way and style they want to play. So I think with their senior leadership having gone through this, if this was their first Frozen Four, it maybe affects them a little bit differently. But being that this is the second time around, and the coach, the way that they're the way that they're just run as a program, I actually think they'll handle this just fine. Well, that's out of the Bridgeport Regional. Out of the Fargo Regional, they will face UMass. We'll take on Minnesota Duluth, the aforementioned Minnesota Duluth, which is one of the last two, of course, with last year being canceled. And look, there's a lot of time between games, but when they played on March 27th, they were able to beat North Dakota in the Fargo Regional in five overtimes. Four to three. Now, if this had been last weekend, they have no shot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. But because it was March 27th, they're well-rested. What did they tell you about what that was like to play in an epic like that? Well, number one, they all said they hadn't been any through anything like that before. 142 minutes and 13 seconds. And I watched that game, and you could tell as it went on in overtime, typically you see players, the first five minutes, they come out and fly. Once that got to the third, fourth, fifth overtime, it was just it was just slow. And there really weren't many scoring opportunities, and it felt like it could go on forever. And the team, what Minnesota Duluth, the players said yesterday, is that they just had so much respect for North Dakota, being a conference rival, being the team that really was the team to beat number one all year long, that they had so much respect for them that after the game, the typical feeling of the elation of going to the Frozen Four, it was almost subdued their reaction because of how much respect they had for their conference opponent and the team that they faced and then the way they beat them. Because anytime you're playing five overtimes, you might as well just flip a coin. Right. Anyone can win that game. Um, so that's what they're mainly saying is they haven't been through it before. Uh, it was exhausting. They were doing anything they could. Guys were just laying on the floor in the locker room between the third and fourth overtimes, and that they had so much respect for the opponent. The interesting story out of that is they had to pull the goaltender, Zach Stasekul, in the fourth overtime. He started cramping in the third overtime, and they went to their other goalie, Ryan Fanti. And I asked him yesterday, and this is a story that we're going to share tomorrow night, how did it feel as a competitor to actually have to pull yourself out of the game? Because you're cramping. It's certainly an injury, but it's not as if you broke your leg and you couldn't stand there anymore. So this really was on his plate to make that decision. Does he stay in the game or come out of the game? And he said to put his ego aside and to put personal pride aside and make that decision. And then the way that the teammates respected him for doing what was best for the team, uh, that it really was a strengthening moment for their culture and their program. And by the way, that's the only game they've played in the tournament so far because they were supposed to play Michigan, and Michigan, because of COVID, could not play in the opening round. North Dakota had to beat AIC to get uh, uh, to that to that matchup. All right, now the other bracket. Uh, 
the fighting Hayden Foxes, for those who remember the old TV show Coach, <laughs> he was the football coach in the fictitious Minnesota State. Well, there really is a Minnesota State. Uh, <laughs> they won the Loveland Regional, and they beat Minnesota to do it, and they shut them out 4 nothing. And they take on St. Cloud, which got through the Albany Regional by, uh, uh, by beating Boston College, which... You know, and the same thing with BC. BC had a walk over Notre Dame. Same story about COVID. So St. Cloud, mm-hmm. which had to play twice to get there, beat BC four to one. So let's get to Minnesota State first. Uh, they're a two seed. Your thoughts? They're a two seed in Loveland. They probably have the biggest star name going into the Frozen Four with BC and Wisconsin and Minnesota and Michigan getting knocked out in North Dakota. The Frozen Four. It's about teams that have depth that have quality coaching and character and that are really strong through the middle at center and are really good on the back end at defense. And they're older teams. These are four of the older teams in college hockey in Minnesota. Average age is 23 years old. But in terms of star power, they have one of the three Hobie Baker finalists in goal, Dryden McKay. So I think what they have is something that starts with him. um, And they, they lean heavily on him at times. The question is, where do they stack up coming out of the WCHA? And they were able to get over the hurdle in the first round, coming from behind to beat Quinnipiac in overtime after a slow start. And that's the first NCAA tournament win for them in program history. And then the next day, as you said, to beat Minnesota 4 nothing, I thought they just flew all over the ice. They looked like a confident team. And for as snake-bitten as they had been in the NCAA tournament, they looked like a team that all of a sudden had newfound confidence once they they finally got one win. Uh, And then what I find interesting about three of the four teams is you have a 75% chance of having a first-time champion with Minnesota State right. being one of those teams. And this would be the fifth time this decade that you'd have a first-time champion. So well, if you want to relate it back to the local folks who root for Penn State hockey, there is there's a changing of the guard. And, and you look at how these teams are built yeah. with not necessarily just draft, getting first-round draft picks, not necessarily just getting the – blue chip guys who are 18 years old and come right out of high school or spend one year in juniors there's really a way to build and find the guys that fit your culture and fit your program and that's what when you look at the rosters that umass minnesota state and st cloud state have that really is a common trend between them and in some way minnesota duluth too um with what they've accomplished but they've become really the standard bearer for college hockey St. Cloud State won the opener over BU. They beat Boston University six to two, and then they, you know, and then BC, which was well rested because they didn't have to play Notre Dame. St. Cloud beat them four to one, and they actually did it with relative ease. Yeah, the story about them this year has been that they were picked fourth in the NCHC. They weren't ranked in the top twenty to start the season. In the last couple of years, they've had some really, really good teams, especially in two thousand eighteen and two thousand nineteen number one overall seed going into the tournament loss to Air Force and Atlantic Hockey. So this wasn't really the team that many thought would get to this point. But they, the same thing as Minnesota State, which I think makes it an intriguing matchup. Really good centers up the middle. Yep. Nick Perbix is excellent as a defenseman. Senior goalie, who's a four-year starter, has been around the block. And a really good head coach and Brett Larson. So they're very similar to Minnesota State in the way that they're built. They're deep. And they, in that 
regional final lost Easton Brodzinski, their top goal scorer, right. and the team rallied around that. They were down one nothing against BC, scored three goals in the second period after he went out. And even without having Brodzinski, it's still a lineup that has some, some threats. A couple of Finns joined by Zach Okabe. Uh, that's a line that's smaller in size that can score. And then they do get some production for Bix, the defenseman, to join the rest of the lineup. Well, it's fun that it's in Pittsburgh. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Wish there was 20,000 people there, though. Yeah, 20,000 people would be phenomenal. But, uh, you'll, you know, the fact you're there is really cool. So. Yeah, they could, they, they couldn't have, couldn't have made a better choice. And uh, by the way, can we uh, slip in something quick about baseball? Uh, you did you did a mm-hmm. brilliant job, by the way, in the Rutgers series. Uh, Listen to the, a couple of games in the Rutgers series. You were great. That's the first Thanks. time they won a series in a while. They took two out of three. What did that do for the confidence of the of the baseball team? Yeah, I think it was huge for them. I, they've talked about that how they need to learn how to win and taste success because it gets real old losing games all the time and they've played so many close games against really good teams not just this year i think if you look back over the last three or four years they've been in games that just haven't gotten over that hump so you're hoping it's contagious now that they can get over that hump as a team taste success know what it takes to have success and the winning plays that you need to make late in ball games i think that's something that they're hoping becomes contagious for them they've gotten great pitching this year their yes. starting rotation's been terrific um, they're starting to get some more timely hitting. They played way better defense at Rutgers, which is a big, big step for them. And they're strong up the middle, and they're young up the middle. You have a freshman shortstop, freshman center fielder, and a freshman catcher, and they've played really well at those three spots. So that's, that's a good sign for them moving forward. Brian, brilliant work as always, my friend. Uh, get this frozen uh, forward thing over with because uh, there's a golf course with their name on it. <laughs> Okay, just make sure you bring a couple extra balls. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, talk about somebody who throws down the gauntlet. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Have a great one. I'm just saying we'll be rusty beginning of the year. That's all I'm saying. Uh, oh, oh, believe me. You know, that's the, that's the, golf balls are like Doritos. They make more. <laughs> <laughs> always might have been my saying. Thanks. Just don't eat Doritos when you golf because then your hands are all greasy. and you know, At least it's something to blame. Oh, so that's my problem. All right. Yeah, that's your problem. <laughs> See you, Steve. Brian Tripp. <laughs> I think I said that to you when we were out at Susquehanna Valley Country Club. I think the exact same saying. I said, look, they're like Doritos. They make more. Yes, exactly don't right. Don't, don't I think you said that it. to me a lot. I said, don't worry about it. <laughs> that always drove the suit nuts on this show. Really? Where I would tell him, don't worry about it. It's okay. Don't worry about it. It's oh. okay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's like, don't worry about it. I thought you were talking about they make more Doritos. <laughs> no, no. Oh, no, 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 no. He's the reason they make more Doritos. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. Is it really that easy? All right. <laughs> but, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story about that. We're in Ireland, okay, to do the game with Central Florida. And Jeff Tarman and Roger Corey are working, and we can't get on the air. A lot of people, I don't think, realize we couldn't get on the air. Oh, yeah, we're sitting there. It was an unusual setup because we're actually sitting in the first row of the second deck. 
Yeah, we're not in a, actually in a press box. And we're sitting there, and I'm just looking around. And, and Jack says, I said, what do you think? He says, but I said, yeah, we'll be fine. <laughs> he says, so what do you mean we'll be fine? He said, he can't get us. I said, look, they'll figure it out. We'll be fine. Don't worry about it. He goes, he looks at me. He says, is your heart rate always 45? I said, yeah, it's, we're good. <laughs> he used to drive the suit nuts. <laughs> no, I've got a problem. It's okay. It's all good. Don't worry about it. Sean was the same way. Sean, you like? I said, Sean, it's, it's okay. You, I scream at. All right, we'll come back. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> we'll come back with more in a moment. Great to have you with us today. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors on News Radio 1070 WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. We just spent the last three minutes screaming at me. <laughs> because it's just what I do. This bump, by the way, goes out to Doug in Wellsboro. I am here for the people. He asked, and he shall receive for some more disco bump music. There you go, Doug. Ah, Doug of Wellsboro, the man, you little disco out there. And even though I'm 27, soon to be 28 next month, I love me some disco, too. There you go. My late parents. So in the 70s, you know, it's a, you know, Saturday Night Fever comes out, there's disco, the whole thing. My parents actually took disco dance lessons. That's awesome. They That's really actually did. They actually did. It was like, oh, wow. So Kevin and I started calling him Disco Run and Disco Barb. <laughs> hey, it was something they could do together. It was, that's that's great. I'm glad they did it. You know, me? <laughs> Two left feet. <laughs> Plus, then I start screaming at everybody in the dance floor because, I mean, you know, that's what I do. You saw me in the golf course. I yelled at you. It was awful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't say an encouraging word to you all day. <laughs> I mean, when, when, you sank the, you know, when you sank the putt in 17, I, you know, I mean, I probably shouldn't have said it's about time, but I mean. <laughs> even, on, even on Craig Purdy's one and only bad shot, you yelled at him. It was brutal. Oh, it's because I'm just, that's the way I am. That's... <laughs> That's why playing with the suit, no offense, does drive you nuts. When he finally hits a shot, you got to hear about it for the next three holes. Uh, and he does play-by-play of his own shots. And we're all looking at him like, we're all on the same team. We're like supposed to be encouraging each other. Hey, Craig, great shot. Steve, great shot. 
right? Look at me! I shot her! 